Well, it's good to be with you today. I know you're expecting Mark Birch, our new lead pastor, who's been in that role for just over a week, but he's an older fellow. He's a little tired, so I gave him, gave him some time off. Uh, I'm with you today, and I'm excited to preach out of God's Word. We're in the second sermon series, and today we'll be in 2 John. Recently, my wife and I had our first child. We had a, a baby boy, Isaiah, and the, the joy of holding your first kid, right? It's, it's an experience like, like nothing else I'd ever had. And my, my wife was, uh, had that baby delivered by a midwife. And this midwife, obviously doing her job, met with my wife several times leading up to the delivery date. And one of the questions she, she asked her along the way was, who's your social support? Like, how are you gonna transition from not having a baby to having a baby, because it's a big jump. You have family around, who's gonna have your back? And the answer for us is of course, like we, we have no family around. My wife is from the prairies, so all her family's in Alberta. I'm from the US, so my family lives in Arizona or in, in Mexico, so we don't have anyone nearby. But, as, but we knew, we, we, have, we have a church family. And as we got closer to the due date and then eventually delivered this beautiful baby boy, uh, we, we took him home, and we were overwhelmed by the support we received. We had people stopping by to drop off food, to drop off snacks for Rebecca when she was breastfeeding, baby toys, stuff for babies that I didn't even know what it, what it was for. I would just receive it and, you know, like droopy eyes because I'm not resting enough. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Gift cards. People came around us. It wasn't our biological family, but it was our church family. And this midwife ended up coming by about a week later to, to do a home visit. And she sees us and she says, wow, you guys look incredibly cared for. Like, did you have family come by? Like, who, who has done all this for you? We said, no, like we, we just have, we have a church family. Our church came around us. And that's how it goes, right? People notice when Christians love one another. And that's what we're going to talk about today. One of the defining marks of Christian life is love for one another. Second John is a letter that teaches us this truth. We're going to learn one thing today. Walk in the truth by loving one another. Walk in the truth by loving one another. So I'm going to read from Second John. It's a very short book towards the end of the New Testament. So Second John, starting in verse 1. He who has ears, let him hear. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace with, be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So our first point today is that you need to know the truth. So let me give you some of the context of 2 John. 2 John is a very short letter, 13 verses, right? It's just one page in your Bible. And it opens with the line, the elder writing to the elect lady, right? So the elder is John, the apostle, right? A man who walked with Jesus and who wrote several books in our New Testament. And he's writing to the elect lady. And this language is just, it's used to, to describe a church. So the language of election just refers to Christians. And typically we give feminine pronouns to the church. So John is saying, I'm writing to the church and not just one specific church, but churches in general. It's a short letter, so it could easily be passed around. And he writes to, to tell them, you need to walk in the truth. And that's what we're going to focus on today. But secondly, you need to watch out for false teachers. And that'll be next week. 
And if, if you know John the Apostle as, as an author, you'll notice that as we work through these 13 verses, there is significant overlap between 1 John and 2 John. Five verses out of 13, so almost half of 2 John, has a, a parallel, almost word for word, in 1 John. All of the major themes in 1 John are brought up, right? Live in the truth. Love one another. Watch out for false teachers. We're going to cover all of those things this week and next week in, in 13 verses. 1 John is five chapters. And John gives you the, the short, the, the reader's version, the shorthand version. And as we zoom in on this introduction, there's one thing that we notice. One word that stands out. The passage is overflowing with it. Truth. Love in truth. Walk in truth. Know the truth. In truth and love. Right? John is focused on this word, truth. And in one sense, truth is an idea, right? Christian life includes certain beliefs about who God is and how he works in the world, right? Beliefs like God is in control over all things. Everything that happens is underneath his sovereign hand. God created the universe, right? He made everything that we see, everything that is so far away we can only see glimpses of light in the sky. He made humans male and female. The reality that every single person ever born since Adam and Eve is a sinner, alienated from God. And the good news that Jesus Christ came to reconcile sinful people to a holy God. These are true things. These are statements about reality. And the Christian faith includes these, these beliefs. So truth is an idea. But at a deeper level, and John makes this point, at a deeper level, truth is a person. Truth is the person of Jesus Christ. You see, John the Apostle followed Jesus. He was one of those 12 disciples that walked around with him, that did life with him for three years. John knew him face to face. John heard him preach, right? When Jesus was preaching to, to small groups, preaching to the masses, preaching in the temple in Jerusalem, John would have been there. And you would have seen the confusion and the joy in people's faces as they're like, who is this man? Is he a prophet? It, could he be the Christ? John heard all of these things. John saw Jesus betrayed by one of his own. John felt the shame of seeing Jesus in his moment of need and running away like a coward, afraid of what would happen to him. John saw this Jesus handed over, crucified, and resurrected. And John is saying, no, this, this man, he was not just a man, he was the God-man. And he writes a gospel so every person in the world could know this truth, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and by believing in him, they may have eternal life. John knew this Jesus, and Jesus is truth. John 14, 6 explicitly says this. Jesus is the, per the person of Jesus is truth. This is John 14, 6. Jesus' own words. Jesus said to him, to, as he's speaking to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. The truth is a person. It's more than just an idea. It's an actual person, a flesh and blood person. 
We see this in this letter of 2 John. In verse 2, we read the phrase, the truth that abides in us. Truth is a person. Jesus abides in us. This is from John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Jesus in him. It is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is with us. And verse 2 of 2 John says, the truth will be with us forever. Jesus is with us and will be with us forever. John makes this clear again in another one of his letters. In Revelation 21, we read, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. John is reflecting on the, the culmination of human history. What is coming to all those who wait on Jesus? He's saying there will be a day when everything will be, will be made new and we will be with him. Jesus is w- with us. We will be with him forever. John wants the church, this elect lady, to understand Jesus is, is a person. Jesus is truth. And you, you're going to follow him. You need to follow him. John loves this church and wants them to know both the truth of the Christian faith, but the truth that is the person of Jesus, right? Because one of the most loving things you can do for someone is to tell them the truth, right? You want them to know what the world is actually like. And John loves this church. In verse one, he says, he loves this church in truth. He wants them to know who Jesus is. So he's going to teach them. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in the gospel, we read an even more full picture of who Jesus is. This is from John 1.14, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus, the son of God, became flesh, became a man, and walked among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, grace and truth. Jesus is truth, right? John makes that clear. John 14, six, Jesus is the truth, but Jesus is more than truth. Jesus is grace and truth together. Jesus is love and truth together. You see that move of, of merging those two things. That's huge. That's something that our world simply cannot do. You either, you know, speak the truth or you love people. But those two things, they're mutually exclusive, as the, the wisdom of the world would say. But John the Apostle says, no, no, no. Jesus was truth, but he was grace and truth. He was love and truth. And this, I, this idea, this reality is what keeps the, the Christian faith together. This is what the foundation of, of the Christian church. It is a corporate identity based on shared knowledge. So th- this is a phenomenon that we see in, in all sorts of things. So for example, the Seattle Sounders are a professional soccer team. And my, my wife and I were able to go for a, a soccer game to go see one in, in Seattle to CenturyLink Park because a, a friend took us for our birthday. So it was a double date or for my birthday, pardon me. So double date, 
we went down and we're walking in and CenturyLink is huge and it was already rocking. The game hadn't even started yet. We find our seats and we're, you know, you kind of feel like you're gonna fall forward a little bit and we're looking and then to the left of, of where we were sitting, there was this group of people who had lit flares and were waving flags and there was someone beating a drum and a person with a megaphone and they had chants. And Rebecca looked at me, my wife, and, and said, it, it almost feels like, like a church service. Like, this is like a religion. And as the game went on, these Emerald City supporters, right, these super fans were chanting and cheering. And when the goals were scored, they went bananas. And we're looking at them. And I, I, as I reflected on this experience, I realized that this group of people has a corporate identity. They're the Emerald City supporters. And that corporate identity comes from a shared knowledge and a shared experience. The shared knowledge that the Seattle Sounders soccer team is apparently the best in the world. And the shared experience of going to every single home game, of singing the same songs, of, of chanting, of waving flags. The Christian faith has something in, in similarity with these supporters. We, we are a corporate group. We have a corporate identity, but it's not about soccer it's about shared knowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The shared knowledge that Jesus is grace and truth. And the shared experience of walking with him, of being a Christian, of going to church, of reading the scriptures, of praying, all of these things, shared knowledge and shared experience create a corporate identity that every Christian shares. We're Christians. That's why they call us Christians, followers of Christ. So, I want to challenge the idea that, that you are a single Christian. There is no such thing as a single Christian. If you are a Christian, you are part of the church. That's just the reality. If you are a Christian, you are part of this family, whether you like it or not. And as all of us know, you don't get to choose your family. right? There, there is no such thing as a single married person. That's, that's an oxymoron. Those two things don't go together. There's no such thing as an individual twin. So when you hear the word Christian, there's no such thing as an individual Christian. There's just the church. There's these people, the people that you're watching with. Together, you are the church. Together with all of Northview, you are the church. Christianity has a corporate identity built around shared knowledge and a shared experience. And John wants to communicate that in his greeting. Of, of this short letter. We know the truth. We know Jesus and we are his family. We have a shared experience. So we need to know the truth. If you're here and I, I have no idea who all will be watching this. You could be watching this with your family. You could be watching this as you're driving somewhere. You could be watching this just because you clicked or clicked on a picture on YouTube on, on a thumbnail. The reality for every person in the world is that we need to know the truth. We need to know Jesus. And not everyone does. If you're hearing today and you do not yet know this Jesus, I want to read you some words that he said in John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. People will answer. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus makes an invitation to anyone who has ears and says, come, come join my family. Come follow me. If you've not yet believed in this Jesus, if you've not yet joined in this shared knowledge and shared experience that makes up the Christian faith, 
Today could be the day. This offer by Jesus has no expiry date, but today's a good day. Today should be the day where you hear it and you believe it and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Why not today? So right now, take a few moments and just pray, Jesus, I want to follow you. Help me follow you. Come to our church. We're open. And there's lots of space. We all need to know the truth. But this passage uses that phrase in verse 4, walk in the truth. And walking in the truth requires us to know the truth. But that knowledge leads to, to action. And that's what we're going to look at next. We need to walk in the truth. So this is 2 John, starting in verse 4. I greatly rejoiced to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. This, this little paragraph has a chiastic structure. If you don't know what a chiasm is, it is when there's parallelism leading to a, the, the key point in the middle. And we have that in this passage, right? We start with the phrase walking in the truth and on the opposite side, walking in it. So walking in the truth opens and closes the paragraph. And then we're talking about a commandment from the Father. And John says, this is that we walk according to his commandments. Commandment from the Father, his commandments. Which means that that center sentence Verse 5 gives us the key idea that John wants to communicate. And now I ask you, dear lady, love one another. John wants to remind this church, this group of people who are hearing this letter, you need to love one another. And he tells them an interesting thing. This is not a new commandment. This is an old commandment. This is something we'd already received. Where did John receive this? We need to go back again to the gospel of John. In John 13, we, we hear Jesus speak these very words. This is John 13, starting in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples at the Passover, at the Last Supper. He's with these men. And what we need to understand about this context is that Jesus spent his, his last moments of, of freedom serving these disciples, loving one another. Jesus, if, if you know John 13, it opens with Jesus washing their feet. This is the work of servants. And Jesus, who earlier we learned, is, is the word become flesh. God walking as a man. God bent down, got on his knees, and with a towel around his waist and water in his hands, washed the feet of people like you and me. Washed the feet of men who he knew were about to abandon him. Washed the feet of men who'd walked through dirt and animal feces. And then they got up, everyone's cleaned up. They sit down for a meal and, and Jesus breaks bread with people he knows they're about to let him down. He passes a single cup. They pass around the bread. Jesus spent this time loving them. Love is a verb. Love is an action. So when Jesus talks about loving one another, we see that he himself did it. This is the kind of man he was. He served people. 
And as we focus in on this story, Jesus actually served as betrayer. Like the man who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Judas Iscariot, he was in that room. And Jesus washed the feet of the man who was about to leave and walk to the priests and for 30 pieces of silver, betray Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus shared a meal with a man who he knew was plotting on betraying him. This is, it boggles the mind that when Jesus speaks about loving one another, he's talking about that kind of person. How many of us can even be in the same room as someone who voted different? How many of us can even talk to people who offended us on social media? We were so quick to get angry, to cut people out. And Jesus, the same Jesus who tells us love one another, does the exact opposite. He doesn't cut this man out. He brings him in, knowing he's going to betray him. Jesus loves people. Good people, bad people, weird people. That's what he did. That's what he came to. He came to love on people and save them from their sins. And he commands us in John 13, love one another. And it is this commandment that John has in mind when he's, he's teaching this church. You all need to love one another. This is the commandment. It's not a, a new thing. It's an old thing. This is what Jesus taught us. Love one another. The reality is that this is a high calling, right? We know that Jesus was full of grace and truth, so he could love people. But what about me? I'm not perfect. And that idea that I, I have to love on people who, who are going to hurt me, people who I might not even like, people who I might have nothing in common with, how am I going to do that? But this is what John wants the church, he wants us to understand. Grace and truth go together. Love and truth go together. If it is a true statement that Christians have a corporate identity because they follow Jesus, they know Jesus and they follow him, then when we are commanded to love one another, we're, we're just, we're loving our family. That truth goes with grace, goes with love. We love on each other. And this, this is the, the posture that John has in his entire letter. He's, he's in verse one, to the elect lady whom I love. In verse 12, I hope to come to you and see you face to face. He's writing to them because he has important things to say. But he's saying, no, 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 I want to be there. I want to give you a squishy hug when I just lean in because I haven't seen you in, in a really, really long time. Knowing this Jesus, this grace and truth, this love and truth Jesus necessarily leads to new behavior. And this new behavior is loving one another, loving our family, these people who we have so much in common with because we know Jesus and we follow him. I was, I was able to visit my parents for, for the first time in, in almost three years in, in June, and in early June. And when we were there, we had such a good time. And it, it was especially beautiful because they got to meet Isaiah for the first time, our, our, our little boy. And he was just about three months at the time. And so he's still little. And they'd seen pictures. We'd, we'd done video calls. So it's not like they didn't know him. But when they got to see him in, in, in person... They wanted to hold him. They wanted to hug him, kiss him. My dad, I remember him every, every couple minutes. Hey, when's he waking up? Hey, when's he done his feed? I, I want to hold my boy. I want to see my boy. I want to hold him. I want to I talk to him. He, 
he had been starting to babble. And my dad said, yeah, he's got another story he wants to tell me. This is what love does, right? This is what family love is like. It's up close and personal. I'm, I want to be in your business. I want to be near you. So when, when John says walk in truth, this is the idea he's trying to say. This is what he's trying to communicate to us. Walk in truth by loving one another. Get up close and personal with your family. As you're listening to this, there, there hopefully is someone around you. If that person is a Christian, they're part of your family. And because they're part of your family, you need to love on them, right? Healthy families do this quite naturally, right? So what do, what do healthy families do in, in their normal interactions, right? Quality time. They, they talk a lot. They encourage each other to grow, right? So you want, they share meals. They, they go for coffee. They talk on the phone. They text or Snapchat, right? Healthy families want to be together, you want to pray for your people, right? That, that, that's what healthy families do. I, I, I pray for my son every single day that, that he would know this Jesus who my wife and I serve. That's what families do. They pray for, for the health. They pray for the circumstances that, that face the people they care about. Healthy families do all of these things. And ultimately, healthy families want to see you grow. No one is satisfied with seeing you stay the same. They want to see some maturity, they want to see greater and greater mastery over skills. They want to see you turn from sin. So Jesus, when, or John, pardon me, when he's telling us, walk in the truth, love one another, this is what he's trying to say. This posture that comes naturally towards a biological family, this is what you need to have towards the church, towards Northview, towards people who, who sit in the same rows as you or who you wash together with in your homes. I experienced what this is like when I was, when I was in the States. My mom and dad live in a small, a small home, so I ended up staying with, with a missionary couple that they're very close with. And I had never met this couple. I'd, I'd interacted with them via text a few times, but we, it's, we, we knew nothing about each other. And I walk in the door carrying a baby and luggage and my wife carrying stuff, and they, you know, they greet us at the door. And they said, mi casa, su casa. My, my home is your home. Here's the guest bedroom. Do you guys need to move furniture? Like, what does the baby need? Here, put your stuff in the fridge. You know, do whatever you need. What time do you want breakfast? Here's the keys to our car. Here's the code to the garage. They invited us into their home and treated us like we were their own children. And I remember thinking like, wow, what an incredible experience that it is to, to, to be loved. So tangibly, love for one another is a non-optional part of the Christian faith. That's what this couple showed. They didn't know me at all, but they knew my parents. And they went to the same church as my parents. So they said, well, the, my, Freddie's parents are our family. Therefore, Freddie's our family. That is what the Christian church is supposed to be like. This is what John is writing to this church to tell them. Love one another. But reality check, no families are perfect, right? Even healthy families are not perfect. North is a healthy family, but there will be people here who you disagree with, who have personality difference, differences. But the, the command to love one another is not dependent on personality differences. It's a command dependent on your shared faith in Jesus. So if you're both Christians, you love them. 
You love on one another, right? Families fight. That's normal. Families argue. Families disappoint each other. I grew up with a younger brother, and we fought all the time, right? We argued, wrestled, whatever. But what never changed as we argued, as we fought, was that we were still brothers. And the same is true of the church. No matter what happens with these people, they are still your family, and we are commanded to love them. The call to love the Christian church, the call to love each other is non-optional. And in fact, it is one of the defining characteristics of true faith. So we need to walk in truth by loving one another. John makes this most clear in 1 John 4, 19 to 21. And I'll, I'll end with this. We love because he first loved us. God loved us and then commands us to love one another. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. One of the clearest ways that you show your love for God is by loving your brothers and sisters in the church. So Northview, will you love one another? Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm grateful for this day. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach from your word. And Lord, I pray for, for the, every single person listening, for those who were not Christians, Lord, would, would you warm their hearts so they would become Christians, that they would know Jesus is the truth and follow him. And for everyone else, Lord, I pray that they would love one another. Lord, that is, that is the sign of being Christian, our love for one another. That is how the world ought to know us. So Lord, I pray that you soften our hearts towards our brothers and sisters in this church, that we would be a place known for its love. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.